Welcome to Table Talk, the podcast that takes an in-depth look at the dynamic and exciting restaurant world. We sit down with industry leaders as they share best practices, highlight smart solutions, and discuss strategies for growth, ultimately helping food service operators learn how to affect positive change and grow their business. Now, here is your host, editor and publisher of Food Service and Hospitality Magazine, Rosanna Kyra. Today, it's my pleasure to welcome Inran Texera to the Table Talk podcast. Imran's love of cooking has taken him into some of the best restaurants in the world, including such esteemed restaurants as Noma in Copenhagen, Denmark, Etch in the UK, Stofa Restaurant in Ottawa, as well as Atelier. He started as a commis chef apprentice in the Brook Street Hotel and has won a series of certifications and awards in his young career. Most recently, Imran was selected as one of the winners of 2021's Top 30 Under 30 program produced by Caustic Medium. Good morning, Imran, and welcome to Table Talk. Good morning, Rosanna. Thank you for uh, having me here today. It's an absolute pleasure to, uh, to be here, yeah. Well, that's great. It's my pleasure to have you. I, I, I know, um, you know, going through your bio, you've done so much already in, in a very short career, and, and you've had some really great success and as I mentioned, you were one of our winners last year for the top 30 under 30. And you uh, recently part of the podcast that we had um, saluting last year's winners. So lots of great, great uh, mileage for you so far in your young career. And it's wonderful to see that. And I thought maybe this morning we could start off talking a little bit about your background. So how you got into to the hospitality industry and really what fueled your career uh, in this uh, vibrant and dynamic industry? Uh, so a little bit of background on me. I'm uh, born and raised in Ottawa. And coming into the industry came out of almost a necessity of just trying to earn some extra pocket money as a 13, 14-year-old. So I came into the industry at a young age. And like most people, at least in the back of house, I, I started in the, the dish pit. So working at a local family style uh, chain restaurant and just, I think obviously the dish dish work is not the most glamorous job, but it gave me a nice insight into the environment, the, the family, like, uh, like life that a kitchen holds and how fun and exciting and exhilarating going through a, a dinner rush is even for something that's was so casual compared to some of the places I've worked up uh, most recent. And for me, it was just so invigorating coming from a background of playing sports and whatnot and being in that team environment to be in something like that in a more professional manner. It just, it just felt so invigorating, so rewarding when you see customers that are happy leaving said establishment. So for me, it was just something I thrived off and being in that kind of environment from a young age, it just, it just felt so, so thrilling. And it's just that adrenaline rush for me, I found almost addictive, if you will. And since the age of 14, I've, I've never worked, honestly, in any other industry. And what, over t 10, 15 years now, I I've been here. So it's interesting because you've come into the industry, as a lot of people do, coming through, you know, like you said, you know, um, washing dishes or in the back of the house. And this industry is known for having a lot of people going through it. Not everybody always stays in it once they, once they are exposed to it. What is it about the industry that made you want to stay as opposed to just having this as a part-time job and then eventually going into another industry? Was there something, was it that addictive nature, as you said, or was there more that sustained you to, to stay in the industry for, for this long? So actually like I did, I, was an apprentice through through high school. I was lucky to have a guidance counselor that was teaching me about different career paths within the culinary world. And at a certain point, when the culinary trade was deemed as uh, you can get a Red Seal certification, and for me as a high school student, that was just something in the back of my mind. I wasn't too worried. So when I had an opportunity to do a co-op co at a local ho uh, hotel, and I was able to sign up as a youth apprentice, I didn't think too much of it. I didn't know if this was my career path down, like going to be my career like path down, down uh, long-term or not. I had different interests peaking in different ways. And I actually, out of coming out of high school, 
I actually had career paths going into police foundations and psychology. I always wanted to work within CSIS. There's just a big pull for me to work in that side of the world. But there's something about the kitchen that always kept pulling me back. And there's something about, for me, I'm a very hands-on learner. I love to create and the art form that comes from it. Obviously very different from working in CSIS, for example. <laughs> and for it's sure. just, for me, yeah, for me, it was just, the, the hospitality of it. And that was something that was really big in my family, the events, the networking and how it always came around food. And at least for me, there's never been a negative side when people are coming together over food, wine and, and whatnot. And normally when people do come together around those areas, it's normally for a, 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 a good reason. So for me to really find a creative passion in that and I find that the universe works in a strange way and different opportunities kept coming to me as I dove deeper into the culinary world. And it just felt like something deep inside me just pushed me back into that. And I just hit the ground running with it. That's amazing. Um, and, and through this process, did you attend culinary school or did you get your ed- education on the job and through, you know, apprenticeship programs, like you said, what, what how did that play out? Did, did you go to school as well or no? Yeah, so I did uh, attend culinary school. I went to Algonquin College in Ottawa. And at the time, like debating on different career moves coming out of high school, obviously talking to a lot of chefs and people that have been in the industry for years, which is always, you're going to get the best advice from them. They they pushed me, obviously, one, to travel and to explore myself and to find out really what I want to do. And then based on a career wise, there are just like, there's two trains of thought. You can go straight into the field itself and you're obviously going to learn so much there, but you can also do schooling where you're going to have a lot more classical, maybe more academic type teaching. But the best thing was the apprenticeship where it was a bridge between the two. I feel I would be able to get the best of both worlds to show some legitimacy that, I didn't just like fall into this career. Like I really wanted to show that I invested in it, that I was able to spend some time in the classroom with some world-renowned chefs at Algonquin College, but then at the same time, get amazing experience within the field. So coming out of it, having a diploma, being a Red Seal chef now, and still having amazing experience that I find that you could only get in the actual industry. I think I was very lucky and fortunate to have uh, a program like that, that that was offered at the time for me coming out of high school. And I think that's been a vital role of the success I've had this far. So we've heard, you know, we hear a lot recently about the educational sector and, you know, it's going through very tough times also because of COVID um, and the way COVID really forced everybody to pivot from, you know, in-class learning to the online model, which is a little bit different for, for most people. <laughs> Um, and, and right now it's going through some flux and some changes. As someone that's attended, uh, you know, the culinary school route to some degree with the apprenticeship program, how, how would you like to see the school system in Canada change and improve? Is there, is there something that needs to be done to make it more attractive to students? Because learning has also come through a lot of changes over the last decade. Um, with a lot more online models and modules mm-hmm. and training components, what would you like to see differently? I think the main thing for me would be to really highlight how diverse, I guess, the culinary hospitality landscape can be, where it's always geared to working in hotels and restaurants, then obviously branching out into like the broader area of like tourism, but just knowing like how many different avenues that you can go that you can be like you can think about the academic side or the food writing side of doing blogs or podcasts or being a, become a food critic. Or then you think about food styling for the amount of TV shows and movies out there. It's not just, you know what, I'm going to culinary school and all I'm going to ever do is work in a kitchen at a restaurant. It's, there's so many different avenues to, to go in. And I think it's to really highlight that and that being a chef or a cook or just within the, the, culinary and hospitality fields can mean so many different things now and to really bring highlight to that. And I think the fact that that hasn't been really highlighted too much in the past has really kept people away from that. But the fact that it's going to bring a lot more better reputation to say a food critic, for example, if you've worked in restaurants or you have hands-on training, then 
someone who just has like a writing degree. The fact that you can bring a lot more experience, a lot more readers or viewers are going to have a lot more respect for someone who has those, those hands-on skills. And it, it just creates, I think, a lot more like career potential where now it's not, for me personally, it's not just me grinding in a kitchen for someone else or even for myself day in, day out. There's so many different avenues that could it can lend towards. And I think we got to really highlight that there's so many different ways it can go. So it's, it's really about broadening the reach and the appeal so that exactly. it's not restricted only to a hotel possible job, uh, you know, possibility of a job in a hotel or a restaurant. It's to really make people aware of so much more that can be done. That's it. And obviously with social media and just the internet in general, that, that information is now becoming so readily available for us, but to showcase from like a business standpoint, like how great these careers can be. And like, you can make such a great living off this. And the fact that it's not just A, B or C, there's just so many different ways to, to go about it. And I think it's very, very exciting and invigorating for different people to come into spaces. They think that they might've not felt was the right thing for them. And yeah, just I think it's really cool, and it it just can open so many doors for different people from different areas to come into that kind of space. So it sounds like maybe there's potential for improvement in the marketing that the industry has done to appeal to more people. Would you would you say that's the case? Yeah, I definitely think so because I feel like it's really just like honed in on one kind of avenue within that workforce, and there's a lot of like like I was explaining new trends and different ways to go about it, but then also to highlight, say, some of the older, like, older practices that have been phased out or not, like, deemed as, as, as sexy, where you're thinking of, like, bringing back, like, farming and teaching people how to garden, whatnot, or bringing back, like, I spent some time working as a fishmonger, so, like, having skills of breaking down whole fish or whole animals in a butchery or working as, like, a cheesemonger, all this falls under that culinary umbrella, but to really sure. highlight all these these cool things and these different career paths that really hone in on these more old school practices, but are obviously staples in a lot of culinary cultures around the world. And there seems to be a growing appreciation for, for that, as you say, you know, from like nose to mm-hmm. tail on animals and the sustainability of fish and all of those areas are gaining a lot more appreciation um, these days. So that makes sense. Um, and Ren, who would you say like, did you have a role model for yourself once you got into the industry of who you wanted to be like? Was there a chef that served that inspiration for you, either as a mentor or, or just a source of information? To be honest, I didn't, there's no, like, say, one, one person that really was, like, the, the guiding light, if, if you will. There's so many different people that were well-known for so many different things, and a, f- a lot of chefs have told me, at least in the younger years, was to bounce around and really find the niche market that y- you like to work in, the flavors you like to work with, the kind of style of service. And it's for me, it's about really picking what I like. At a young age, it's not like I want to just pick and choose this and cut off everything for the next 10, 20 years. I wanted to spend the first decade of my career trying absolutely everything and saying, okay, I worked in this vegan restaurant and maybe I'm not going to be a vegan chef but I know how to cook vegetables or show that appreciation for that and work closely with these farmers for these kind of reasons. Or I've worked in say a butcher shop and now you know how to do things this way. And it's just picking out different things that I found have fit for me. So I can really be a role model in a different way for others. So it's, I would say I had role models, but I didn't have role models at the same time. It's just, yeah, it's, it's a, it's an interesting spot to be in when there's so many, uh, people and different ideas to choose from. Has, has mentorship been an important part of your career development? Um, I know you've been exposed to a lot of different chefs and different styles, but has there been that kind of um, guiding influence for you that has really helped you? I've definitely had some mentorship from some, from some key people, friends and family. And I think the best thing is that some of them have not always been in the hospitality field. Oh, and which is really, which is really nice because it's really highlighted different parts of my life that I wanted to put um, as a priority: friends and family, and really taking a step back. And 
some of my friends that are say professional athletes and that's something like I've always been a big sports fan and I love fitness. So making sure that my fitness and my health is a big priority and then the travel as well, where not everything is always career orientated and that everything will, will feed each other. So I'm really happy that the advice I've taken from different mentors or people I've looked up um, to is from all different walks of life. And I think that really adds to becoming a well-rounded individual. So it sounds like you're trying to also get more balance in your life and looking to people who can help you understand how to do that, because that's a very precarious area to balance work and, and, and personal life. Would you say that's the case? That's it. I, I find if you go like too deep in one way or the other, something is, is going to have to give and something like, there's always going to be sacrifices and maybe it's naive of me and maybe because I am still young, I'm, I think that you, you can have it all. Obviously, there's going to be sacrifices, no doubt, that are going to be made, but really making time for, for everything that you can have your family, you can build those relationships with friends and be there for, for the birthdays and stuff. But at the same time, working in our field, you will miss some of those things. It's not that you have to give up one or the other, but I feel to really make time and to build relationships both in a career aspect and personal are, are very important. And for the long term, for your, 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 your mental health and personal growth, I think it's, it's a mandatory thing to make priority. Yeah, I think a lot of people are re-examining that area a lot more, especially after the pandemic. Um, when I look at all the great restaurants that you've worked in, I'm sure people, uh, other chefs coming into the industry who are aspiring for a great food career are probably a little envious when they see where you've worked. Can you tell us a little bit about some of those experiences and what they've actually contributed to you in terms of skills and, uh, and learning? Um, I know Noma obviously comes, comes to mind um, because of the great restaurant that it is, but uh, can you tell us a little bit about how that's all contributed to where you are today? Uh, I think one of the biggest things is for me, like travel's always been a big thing and then learning from the different cultures and then from the, the professional side of it and getting into different kitchens and work environments around the world. You are meeting people that have different flavor profiles and different palettes of taste that they like, different world experiences and there's so much to be to be learned from that where you're thinking like I've spent a lot of time going through the UK based on the family that I have there and seeing the culinary trends there are say different from what we have here in North America there's so many different styles or techniques so much to be to be learned and then you're meeting people that have so much passion for the same thing it's just it's so invigorating to see that kind of passion and that that drive within this field around the world and to think that it's impossible to ever know everything within almost any industry, but especially in, in the food world. And to know that there's always something to learn, I feel it's, it's the best thing because no matter what, where you are in life or what industry, when you get complacent and you feel like you know everything, I feel that's when everything dies and that's when creativity dies. And the, the culinary field is really based off creativity. So knowing that you can always travel, meet new people and, find something new to really hone in on or to explore, I think is absolutely amazing. And I think that's probably the, the biggest thing that's had uh, an effect on me. And that's why I've grown so much is that I've made that a priority is to meet new people, to hear about where they've come from, what they like to eat and their family traditions, and to really break bread over that kind of idea and to, to, to expand and, and connect on, on those kind of um, those issues. So, so let's shift direction a little bit now and um, tell me a little bit about what you're doing today. Um, you know, you've had a lot of great um, learning over the last few years and a lot of great restaurants around the world. How have you now parlayed all of that uh, knowledge and expertise into what you're doing today? I, I'm sure our listeners would love to hear more about that. So today, uh, now, um, in January of 2022, I launched a personal a chef business called Wonderless by Imran Texera, which brings the blind tasting menu experience into clients' homes. Throughout COVID, for the obvious reasons, a lot of the fine dining establishments have had to transition their business models to make ends meet, doing takeout and becoming more casual, if, if you will. And for me to have 10 plus years of training in fine dining, I didn't want that, that kind of skill set to, 
to go away. And even now in Canada, seeing us coming out of COVID, a lot of those fine dining restaurants that have pivoted have made the choice to stay that way because it's it's a hard business model to 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 go into to begin with. And now to to come out of that after trying to really bounce back after the the hard two years we've had, it's it's obviously a difficult thing. But for me, that's that's where my passion lies. That's the style of service that I like. That's where my creative juices really flow. And to bring that kind of experience that's very intimate to the the clients that really enjoy and that really thrive off that kind of experience, I, I, I think is awesome. For me to see everything over COVID where everything was takeout and pickup and everything was done over like virtually, it's, it's nice and it's cool to see the business and the innovation behind it. But for me, I want to try and bring it back to make it very intimate where some of the biggest restaurants in the world or even in this city or the country, you're not always going to have those chefs there. You're not going to always get to meet them where for me, you're going to have me there in your house, talking you through the whole menu, serving you your dishes, telling you about the inspiration. It's, it's very intimate. And I feel like every chef puts themselves onto every single plate that they make. So to get that, that raw experience, I feel is, is very unique. And I think that's the most beautiful thing about the, the culinary arts. So basically, you're taking the fine dining experience that you would uh, have in a, in a restaurant setting, and you're bringing it into the home. So how is that doing for you? I mean, are you getting a lot of interest from people? How are you marketing yourself? And, um, and how many others are helping you on this uh, venture? So I try and keep it uh, pretty intimate where I try and keep it under 10 people where if I'm doing, I focus on 10 to 15 course tasting menus. So if you're thinking 10 people, 10 courses, that's, that's a hundred dishes right there. So that's a lot of food. Put, <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's a lot of food. And when you're thinking of any like, bigger groups than that, then that's obviously like what restaurants or bigger venues are for, but trying to offer that experience is definitely a lot of work. So when you're getting to those bigger groups, I do bring in some help, but on the day to day, it's, it's, it's all on my own. Wow, so that's that's a huge responsibility. It is a lot of responsibility without a doubt, but it also gives me ultimate control as well, where I can really curate dishes on my own timeline to really work with the clients that I have. And the clients I've worked with are very open because they're, they, they want that kind of experience. I feel it's it's easy to go somewhere and get exactly what you want, where if you want a burger, you go here, you want a rotisserie chicken, you go here, but to have that kind of experience, to have that art form and that, that outlet to see what people can do with food and that, that voice that a chef can have, I think it's, it's really enticing and to be in the comfort of your own home with your kids running around or your baby that you got to pick up every hour or two if it's crying, or you got some pets that are, at my feet as I'm cooking. It's, it's to bring that level of comfort, but also you're in your most comfortable environment, but you're giving up so much control. So I feel it's a, it's a very interesting feeling for, for me to come in and to do what I do, but also for, for the diners themselves to give up that kind of control and their most comfortable environment. I, I find it very almost seductive, if you will. And it's, yeah, it's, I, I feel it's something that hasn't really been done much before. So you're giving people an option too, because through the pandemic, you know, the takeout that was going on was always focusing on comfort foods like chicken or pizza or whatever the case may be. You're giving them now an opportunity to get to that next level. But how much are you pricing this at? I mean, if you're doing a 10 course tasting menu, what would that go for? So 10 courses, if you're thinking at some of the better restaurants, that's around, say, Two hundred dollars, maybe two fifty, and for me, it's about three to three fifty, depending on market prices of how obviously inflation is going up, and then obviously the the fact of me coming in with all the equipment and whatnot, bringing into your house that that the repertoire, obviously, and the skill set that goes into creating said dishes, and then just the the like the effort of coming into the house and basically building a high end kitchen in somebody's home. It's, it's not an easy feat in the fact that I'm not in a comfortable environment. When people are coming to a restaurant I've worked at, you know where everything is, everything's organized, you know, everything's perfect. The, the oven was fixed yesterday. There's nothing, there's, there's less, less things that you got to worry about breaking down on you. We're here. Everything is, is different where for me, it's, it's, it's part of the fun. I know that every single 
home I go into is is very unique to to the clients that own it. And for me, that's that's what changes. And I feel that shows a lot of skill on my side is how can I adapt and maintain a calm manner and still give out such a high level of um, of skilled food. So Imran, are you doing this uh, every day, every night? I mean, uh, once on like on the weekends, how, how are you gauge? How are you uh, organizing that? So it really depends on the clientele base. I've done different corporate events that are midweek and different like, business uh, dinners, or then I've done engagement dinners, big birthdays that are uh, more obviously geared towards the weekend. So it really depends on the client's needs, but it's the fact that I can be so flexible with that and really offer that kind of experience and that hospitality for exactly what the clients want and to work around creating the best experience for them. And how are you marketing this? I mean, how are you finding customers? Obviously, in the beginning, probably word of mouth, but have you had to do anything different to market yourself? I think that is probably one of the hardest things. Obviously, not being from Toronto and being in a new landscape coming out of COVID and whatnot, marketing is always going to be a, a, a big a big part of growing any business from, from the ground up. And coming out of COVID, being a young person, with limited funds, that's that's the hardest part. So the main thing is just getting out there, going to networking events. Obviously, word to mouth is always the best, no matter what it is. If I'm asking my friend for a mechanic or I'm looking for a painter or a landscaper, if one of my friends refers them to me, I take that with a very with a very strong, strong notion. So the fact that it's it's a snowball effect. So as I get to cook and meet new people and more people get to try my food and the personality behind of what I offer, I, I find it's going to just explode. So it's just getting the ball going. And obviously, as we come out of COVID and spring, summer, weather come, more people are obviously going to be more uh, inclined to get together and have these kind of events. It's it's going to grow really, uh, really quickly. But I'm happy that it's slowly picking up and that I'm really having time to focus on working out all the kinks. And yeah, it's coming together very well. I would assume that social media is a big part of that too. I know you're very active on social media. Have you used that to promote this business? I would assume. Yeah, I definitely. Uh, social media, especially for the food world, is is massive. Sharing pictures of said dishes or where ingredients are sourced from and different techniques and whatnot. It's it, it plays such such a big role and about how how you portray your 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 brand and what you do. It it, it plays. Uh, a massive role on getting the word out there and showcasing your culinary style and your voice about what, what you're offering and what you stand for. So you said earlier that, you know, balance, a work-life balance obviously is important to you and and to your generation. Um, Is this the kind of job that will afford you that um, because you can pick and choose or is this going to create, should it grow so, so rapidly and then you're busy every night and every weekend. Is that going to be an issue uh, in achieving that work-life balance? I, I think I, I was right now, for example, <laughs> I have a lot more uh, control over my, my life and the work-life balance for sure. I can really pick and choose what kind of clientele I want to work with and when I try and book the different clients and, and really making sure that I do carve out time for myself where there's certain dishes within the 10 courses that there's ingredients or different components that take months, weeks, or days to prepare. So for me, there's so much planning that goes into it where so I, I can only have maybe a dinner once a week, but there's things that I started for that dinner maybe a year ago that started wow. fermenting or dry aging and whatnot. And yeah. it's always that forward thinking, but knowing that, okay, I can really spread that out. And I know that I can go to the gym multiple days a week. I can play in organized sports. I can see family, but within all those areas, I can keep on preparing, doing R&D, menu development and whatnot throughout and really spreading it out and making sure that it's not all in one day and all out some days that it's a bit of everything in that way that I'm really content at the end of every single day that I've made time for everything that is in that is important. Okay. So when I hear your story, it really speaks to innovation in the industry. And that innovation in many cases was fueled by COVID because once COVID happened two years ago, it forced a lot of operators to do things differently, whether it was pivoting 
to a new revenue stream, creating a different kind of business. Um, and I think what you're doing speaks to that. Is there any kind of innovation that you're seeing in the industry that has been fueled by the pandemic? And, and how do you think restaurants can innovate even more moving forward as, um, as customers come to expect different, different things from restaurants than they used to? It's, it's, it's been like, it's, it's unfortunate that it's come in a backhanded way where we've had to, to innovate based on different closures and restrictions and whatnot. But I think that's really forced some really creative outcomes for a lot of different restaurants, a lot of different food businesses in general, like just speaking about like my, my, my own uh, career path, but there's so many different ways that I feel we haven't even thought about business revenues or even just from an experience standpoint where so many different ideas have come to the table or we've gotten rid of older ideas. It's really honed in on the art of what true hospitality is. So I feel it's becoming, it's aligning back to the original goals of what hospitality is all meant to be, but it's also opened the door for so many cool ideas and different experiences to come in where you can have fine dining experiences in your home, or now you're having different events in different areas that weren't always just restaurant settings and whatnot. And then seeing how the cannabis space is moving forward in Canada and North America, there's so many different avenues now that has opened up the doors. And especially with the whole idea of ghost kitchens and whatnot, I feel like we're, we, we are realigning with the core values, but we are going to explode into so many different avenues now. And it's, it's really exciting coming, coming out of the COVID era, if you will. Well, it's great that you have that excitement for it because I know the industry has been going through a very difficult two years. And, and I think also COVID has really shone the spotlight on certain aspects of the industry that needed to be fixed a little bit. And, um, and we've all been talking about that over the last couple of years, but do you, um, there's some, you know, industry analysts that say the industry model is flawed and that, you know, for it to move ahead successfully, it really needs to be changed dramatically. Do you mm -hmm. agree that we need to make some structural changes to how the business model works for restaurants? Yeah, I definitely think there, uh, there are definitely models and, uh, parts of the model that definitely need to be changed for the longevity and the sustainability of, of, of this industry. Because right now, in the way that it was run uh, prior to COVID, there's always a, a working class that was getting exploited for, for gain. And we were trying to undercut costs on everyone and offer the cheapest products where I feel like it was in a kind of way we were putting a, a lack of respect on our skill set and what we stand for, where this is what things cost. This is the labor that goes into it. And this is what this labor costs. And this is what it's, it's going to cost the, the customer. And the customer has to be willing to, to pay for that. I think based on different interviews and different studies made throughout COVID, one of the things that was missed the most out of everyone was the dining experience. No matter which way that went, if you're in restaurants or private dining, it's just that that, that kind of experience was most missed. And I feel that that kind of respect and that love is, is going to come back a, a lot more. And this is our time to really move forward in, in a healthy way and not to be stuck in the old habits that, that we had in the past and to create a better work environment for, for ourselves, for our employees, and then also offer the best hospitality to, to the customers coming in. So you touched on something that's important and that's, uh, you know, the increasing costs. And I think the pandemic has really made people also realize that um, some of the costs that we're paying in restaurants are very low. It's been kept low for, for many years. And now a lot of operators are saying they can't keep them at low prices anymore because inflation is growing on a daily basis. And I know with yourself and your business that you're creating, the prices need to be quite high. Do you think um, consumers are now more willing to pay those higher prices after living through COVID? Or do you think there's still going to be a little bit of pushback on that? I definitely, depending on the individual, but I definitely think there'll be a little bit of pushback without a doubt, but I think it's going to really highlight that you got to pay for quality, especially when it comes to your health and knowing where your food comes from and really trying to support sustainable, slow food. It, it's obviously going to come at a cost, but then you're 
going to be reinvesting that money into your country, into local artisans, sustainable farmers and whatnot. And I feel that's, that's an, a, a very important thing. And the fact that you, you really want to know where your food is coming from and that that's going to cost set price and put an importance on that, knowing that you're really supporting the families out there and not maybe the big factory farms and whatnot, where even if you're talking about from a meat consumption, where I've cut down my meat completely by a no, if I do go to the butcher shop, I'm going to be putting money into a local farm where the cattle's coming from. I'm putting money into the pocket of the butcher for the craft that he's worked 40 years on honing. So it's about just reinforcing that, that slow food movement and really focusing on quality over quantity, basically. So one of the topics we've heard a lot about in the last two years, and it's existed forever, but it's really come uh, to the fore in the last two years, is the systemic racism that goes on in this industry. And people are talking about it a lot more these days, and they're more open to change. Do you think systemic racism uh, exists in this industry? And how would you like to see the industry move forward on this front to uh, to make equality um, top of mind for all operators? Yeah, I definitely think uh, systemic racism has been a massive part of this industry. And it maybe it's the deep roots of what servants have been known for, like, year in years prior and it's just the fact that you don't see many people of color in management roles at least in the world that I'm coming from from fine Mm -hmm. dining you have this old school mentality especially when you think of like say the Michelin Guide for example where they always highlighted French fine dining and obviously those things are slowly changing but I feel that it's not fast enough where you see the workforce at some of these top kitchens are so multicultural, but then once you get into that management line, majority of them are male and most of them are are white. So to really focus and showcase like the skill and the people that are really putting in those hard hours that aren't always recognized or not always compensated well, men and women, and especially people of, of color that aren't always like being recognized. And I find I find it really funny when you have a a, a team where the the top management team is all white and then they're making say French food, but then they're pulling in tradition, like traditional flavors from China or from Japan or from India, Mexico, but then you don't see any of those people represented on, on that team. And I just, I just find it's funny that people are pulling in from, from those cultures and whatnot for, for business and personal gain, but they're not really highlighting those people. And it'd be nice to really see on, different like restaurant lists for best restaurants or even on food TV and whatnot or fine dining world, whichever world, just to really highlight those people, those cultures and those flavors and the people that, that, that do it justice. So how do we speed up the process to change this? Because as you said, it's been like this forever. And I know companies are making more of an effort these days, but as you said, it's still not quickly enough. So what do we do to quicken that pace? I think we just have, like, honestly, uh, uh, the, the people within that have the power to, to highlight and show recognition have to do so. Where you think of, say, Canada's best 100 list of restaurants. Why is it just based on restaurants where some people that don't have the same funding can't have a nice big restaurant in, say, Yorkville, but their food truck out in the countryside makes some better food than half the restaurants in the downtown core or the fact that there's no like say personal chef that's been on the list or a caterer where there's so many different avenues where maybe people that look like me aren't always going to be in those realms and to be highlighted so to really open those doors to highlight those different areas of career paths and to represent people that are really making waves because the best restaurants or the best places to eat and the best places to get hospitality aren't always the, the most glamorous places in the city run by, by these people. It's for, for, for me, I, I find I have the best food at these holes in the wall or these food trucks or these little right. stalls. And it's about highlighting the, the people and the flavors that come with it. So we have to look a little deeper and harder to find the restaurants that are not your traditional restaurants and, and highlight them. Well, that's it because like 
you, you think of like a big restaurant, say downtown Toronto or out in Vancouver or Montreal, maybe they have the funds for a massive PR team and for agents to help get the name out there. But then you're thinking about the smaller, more That's boutique right. places. We, we don't have that kind of reach. And like when you asked me about like marketing for myself, for example, I don't have thousands of dollars for me to spend on marketing, to make videos, to get articles out there. So any little hype or little bit of recognition that we do have, it's been blood, sweat and tears to get there. And that's why I feel that we and others have to go out of their way to really showcase and highlight those people. Because for those little things, that food truck or that little mom and pop shop has the recognition that they have gotten, it was yeah. blood, sweat and tears that went into it, not just me writing a check to my PR team to, to write out an article out there to their, to their connections. Makes a lot of sense for sure. So Imran, I mentioned earlier that you were one of last year's top 30 under 30 winners that we produce at KML. And I know we had a podcast a few weeks ago celebrating last year's winners. But um, what I guess what did winning the award, what has that meant for you? It, it's definitely meant uh, a, a great, great deal to me. Um, I've had to work obviously very hard to to gain the the respect obviously within the fine dining world that I do come from. But in in the grand scheme of things, the fact that I've had to go on to TV shows, I've had to intern across the world. I've had to work, I'd say, twice as hard as some of my counterparts to gain half the recognition. So the fact to see more people that look like me getting that kind of recognition, those kind of experiences. And I feel that's what's going to help other people that look like me to come into the industry to know like, why are like say other South Asians going to come into the culinary field if they're never going to be seen in those, those roles or being recognized. You see more people like us being recognized or in those roles and being highlighted for, for what we do. It's going to bring more people like us to, to come in. And that's why I find we're having such a labor shortage. It's just like, if you aren't showing the massive, like I've walked through George Brown and Algonquin College and I would say a lot of the people in those culinary programs look like me, but yet you see a lot of them fizzle, fizzle out through the restaurant. And within years, I can think maybe out of my graduating class when I left Algonquin, maybe two out of the 25 apprentices are still working in the industry. That's got to be very frustrating to see that. But also, why is that happening? Why are they in the school system? But when they come out, they, they just don't make it through. And I think that's what needs to be focused on, right? Well, and, and, and that's it. And I find it's, it's, it's very hard. And it's, I had this conversation with a friend recently where, for me, I, I identify as Canadian. My, I have an uh, Indian background. And there's so many restaurants and places I've gone into where they expect me just to make Indian food. And they're like, this is what you're known for. Like, this is where you come from. This is what you look like. You should make us Indian food. And like, how do you know these flavors? I've worked hard to really try and break away from that. Like I've had fr like French culinary training at Algonquin College and based on the hotel I was an apprentice at. I'm born and raised in Canada. My parents grew up in the UK. So like, I'm like the farthest from being quote unquote Indian, if you will, but right. And I have a lot of respect from where I come from, but why am I pigeonhole into, into that kind of area where I want to showcase where I come from within my food, but it doesn't mean that I have to focus on the ugly, delicious like, bounty of what Indian food is, but to really focus on it in a different kind of light. Why are we always pigeonholed into doing those kind of like, being in that kind of realm where I feel like based on so many different cultures around the world, they're always pigeonholed into a certain idea, but there's so much room for growth and I feel it's a time where we open the possibilities what these different cuisines can be represented as. So do you feel a sense of responsibility being a top 30 winner to pave the way for others, you know, in, in, in your area to, uh, to grow similarly as you have? I definitely feel there, there's a responsibility. You, you, you asked me a question earlier in our segment about having a role model earlier in my career and whatnot. And like, to be honest, I wish there was someone that looked like me or came from my kind of background that I would say, you know what, I want to look up to them and they've really paved the way. But to be honest, has it been done, at least not in our country at all. So, Good point. so the fact that if I can do that in whatever way I can, 
it's obviously not going to be an easy road because it's never been done here before. So there's a lot of barriers to break down and a lot of doors I'm going to have to really kick in to get, uh, get a seat at that table. But I think I owe it one to myself and I owe it to others that are coming out. And I just, it, going back to when I was on Top Chef, the amount of people that reached out to me to see someone that looks like me at that kind of age as well to be highlighted on the show and not because I am making traditional Indian food. I'm doing something that's so different and especially being from the fine dining world, it's something that's not always seen. And if it is seen, it's never recognized. So the fact that I'm out there, I've had that recognition and now that support from such a vast community, I feel like it's a duty for myself and for others to show that we deserve to be at that big table. It's a very important point. I, I hear you. Um, I know we touched a little bit this morning on obviously how COVID has changed the industry and education and everything else. But do you feel that um, moving forward, there's less, um, there's less interest in people coming into the industry? Are you worried that all the problems that have been exposed about the industry and the long hours and sometimes the low pay and the inflexibility, do you think that's going to impact on younger people coming into this industry? Are you worried about that at all? Uh, I definitely think it's going to have, it's, it's had an impact up to now. There's a, been a reason why we have a labor shortage now, and there is a reason why we had it before COVID. It is up to the people that own these establishments to really change their ways where if they're going to keep those old, old practices in place, yeah, they're, they're not going to be able to hire anyone. And if they do, they're not always going to be of quality. So I think there's always going to be a drive for people to come into this, this line of work, but it's the fact of us being able to keep them. It's the exactly. fact that we have to really create the work environment, the, 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 the kind of environment that they want to be in, that they want to grow and a family for them to, to be a part of. When you're spending this many hours together, you want to make sure that you're being treated right, that you're being compensated for your time and that it's not a degrading environment to be in. You want to really make sure that you are growing. And if, if it's not going to be like that, people aren't going to come into that. So I feel it's really up to the the people that own these establishments to really create a wonderful work environment and the people will be there. There's a reason why some of the best restaurants have low turnover rate is because they create the best work environments. And that comes down to, to the people that own them. It's a lot of uh, important advice in there that you've said, but um, I guess my, one of my questions as we wrap up, what advice would you give to younger people who want to enter the industry? What would you tell them about this industry? For me, especially coming into the industry, I'm a very passionate person about it. And for, I think most people that do come into this industry, it's, it is built on passion, but it's about finding where that, that, that passion lies. For me, I wanted to taste and try absolutely everything. I wanted to have that yes mentality for so many years to try absolutely everything where I know, okay, maybe I didn't grow up eating this, but if I start working with those flavors and cooking with this type of chef or these ingredients, it's going to open or spur a different idea in my mind where, okay, it's cool. I worked at this one restaurant where we worked with farmers and I've never thought about working on a farm in my life, but now I love gardening and love going to my friend's gardens and whatnot and getting those relationships with, with different um, farmers and growers and whatnot. So it's just really diving into absolutely everything knowing that you might have a preconceived notion of how you think your career is going to go. But as COVID has taught us, things can change so quick. So I find that dive into absolutely everything and eventually you will find your, your, your end goal and your, your career path, but to try absolutely everything. So you know what you do and you don't like, you don't know if you, if you don't like something, if you've never tried it, that's it. That's great. And I guess my last question to you today, as we wrap up the interview is the last two years, as we mentioned, you know, have been difficult and trying for everybody. But I think everybody's come out of this with probably a few takeaways or some important lessons. What have been your biggest takeaways from the past two years and what has it taught you? I think my biggest takeaway has been mental, physical health. One feeds the other. Where working in restaurants with long hours, not always being fed, not being able to take care of my body, I feel all those things feed, 
feed each other. If I'm not taking care of my body, my body's not going to act right at work. If I'm not feeding it, if I'm not getting the right amount of sleep or eating the right amount of food or making priority to see my, my friends or my family where I'm just at work all the time, you have to really create that balance and having that time with my loved ones, with my family and friends throughout COVID, having the time to really digest knowing what I want through life, both career and personal, having time to eat square meals throughout the whole day to actually sit down and enjoy and not just be hunched over, curled up in the corner of a kitchen to really show the appreciation for the food I'm putting in. I put so much love and respect into the food I'm putting out for others. We have to have that love and respect for ourselves. So the fact that for me personally, I, I feel like I train and live my life as an athlete where it's just like our job is very physically demanding. You're on your feet for hours. You're moving heavy things around. You're twisting and turning. You have to be very agile. But to really focus on your diet, I know if I want a long, sustainable career, you're going to have to treat your body and your mind right. And you have to put importance on that now where a lot of chefs that are double my age they're obviously seeing the, the the consequences of not not taking care of themselves. So I feel that I am at a very lucky stage in my life where I'm a little brother, big brother type thing in 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 the in my career where I've been able to learn through so many people's mistakes and really learn learn for myself and try and teach those lessons to younger generations coming through. Well, it sounds like you have a great handle on uh, on how to balance both the personal and professional side and. I, I look forward to seeing, um, you know, where you, all the different directions that you're going to go in this career, because you've got a lot of potential and you've done so, so well in your young career already. So good luck with, uh, with the next steps. And uh, I hope the business takes off and gives you all sorts of happiness that you're looking for. Thank you so much, Rosanna. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk with you today. All right. Well, you take care and I hope to see you soon. Take care. Take care. Have a good day. Bye. We appreciate you joining us for this episode of the Table Talk Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, we'd love for you to rate and review our show. Also, make sure you never miss an episode by clicking the subscribe button. For additional resources related to today's episode, please visit our website, foodserviceandhospitality.com. Until next time.